Spite of Courage is about ordinary people aspiring to live their best life by overcoming vulnerability and fear. It's about finding our courage and sharing our stories so we can be who we're truly meant to be and discovering in the process that we're a lot more similar than we are dissimilar. To listen, go to biteofcourage.com or your favorite podcast app. everyone. Welcome back to Bite of Courage. That was my guest, Laura Alberts, on the ukulele playing her rendition of Fly Me to the Moon. By day, Laura is one of Coldwell Banker's top realtors in Orland Park, Illinois, but she is also a musician, dancer, and vocalist, and the winner of both Senior American Idol and Seniors Dancing with Seniors Dance Competition. But Laura is also a breast cancer survivor, and she's here to talk about it today. Hi, Laura. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) How are you? I'm just fine. Before we get into talking about your breast cancer journey, can you tell me what your definition of courage is? Well, it's interesting because when you say the word courage, immediately what comes to mind is the movie The Wizard of Oz and, you know, the lion in there (laughs) who was told he was a coward and he felt cowardly. He was always holding his tail and crying. That's what comes to my mind. But when it came time to save his friends, he forged ahead, didn't even think of the dangers and saved his friends from the wicked witch of the East. (laughs) I love that visual because it's kind of like he had it inside of him the whole time. Yes, it, it was there. He just didn't know it. So the ability to forge ahead into an area outside of your comfort zone. So you might feel the fear, but just don't acknowledge it. I have been in that kind of situation where I look at a huge audience and I just go, okay, okay, I'm just going forward. Here we go. And I go out and I have a big smile. And then the fear goes away. Thank you, Laura. I want to get into your story about when you found out that you had breast cancer, because I know that it was a fluke. And I think this is a, a great time to be talking about it because it's Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Yes, it is. So can you take us back to that time and tell us what happened to you? 
it was back in 2003, and the previous fall, where I usually went to get my mammograms, was Meyer Medical Clinic. Well, they closed up. The creditors came in and closed up the whole clinic. So all the files, everything was there. And I just thought, well, you know what? Well, I don't need a mammogram. So come about November or December, I got a letter in the mail from Aetna Life Insurance and Health Insurance, which is where we had our insurance at the time saying, thousands of women die here from breast cancer. Make sure you get your yearly mammogram. And I looked at it and I went, yeah, yeah, I'm very busy. (laughs) I have children. My husband's in the Navy. I'm very busy. I just threw threw it in the garbage. So Christmas passed, and in January, I got a postcard from my gynecologist saying, Dear Laura, we see by our records you have not had your yearly mammogram or your gynecology exam, blah, blah, blah. And I went, oh, don't they know? My life is busy. And I threw that in the garbage. So then about two months later, I think it was April, my daughter Casey came to me and said, Mom, I'm going into ROTC in the fall, and I need to have a complete physical. Can you get me into your gynecologist? I said, sure. Now, you got to realize my gynecologist is only five minutes from our home, right down the street. So I called, got an appointment, and she said, why don't you see if we can get one for you? Well, they only had one on the day that we picked. So I said, well, I'll get it another time, Casey. That's fine. You know, my life is busy. So the day of her appointment came, and that was the day of her final exams. So she called me from school after her second final exam, right before her appointment, and said, Mom, I got here and I realized I have another exam. I can't get to the appointment. And I go, oh, (laughs) Casey, really? She goes, Mom, why don't you just take it for me? And I go, oh. But, oh, okay. (laughs) So I went begrudgingly five minutes away, and I went in there, and Crystal, who was a physician assistant, saw me, and I said, I'm sorry, Casey has an exam, but I'll just come in her place. That is where she found it. So she did an exam, and she said, Laura, can you feel this? I go, well, all right. She says, what is it? I go, that's my sternum. And she goes, no, that is a very big lump. So you could clearly feel it. Yeah, after she really put, you had to really push in there to find it. So, you know, I would never have found that on a self-exam, ever. It was way in there, but she really knew how to do it. So she sat there. She didn't even get a nurse. She sat there. She did all the paperwork. She had things set up, doctors for me to call, mammogram place for me to call, so I could get that all in order. And then it became kind of like a blur for me. Do you remember what you felt like when you heard that news? Because obviously you were in a little bit of shock at the time and things were moving quickly. I was just in a little bit of a shock, but you know, I couldn't really go there because I had a lot going on that day. I had to pick up the kids from school. I had showings with clients. I mean, I just didn't have time to really process because we were still at the beginning stages and it could have been nothing. It could have been a density lump as you get older, you know, your breasts get denser, all that stuff. So that's how it began. And then I had to go see a surgeon and he said, we're going to take a biopsy. And then he called me the next day on the phone. He said, Laura, it is stage two breast cancer. And that's when I got the chill over me. And all I said to him was, well, doctor, can we fix it? And he said, absolutely. I said, well, I live to be 90 or 95. And he said, you'll live to be 100. I go, well, then I'm fine. And you know what? Well, then I was fine because 
he had complete honesty with me and I trusted him and I realized that it had been caught at the beginning stages. He said, I'm glad you didn't go another year. It would have been a lot tougher. So that's certainly understandable why you wouldn't go and we get busy and we think it's not going to happen to us. And I love that your doctor was so realistic. I, I'm kind of like that too. Just give me the worst case scenario. Right. The worst case scenario would have been had I not come in for that doctor appointment and had not had another mammogram that year. That's where I would have run into real trouble. Obviously, getting a cancer diagnosis is absolutely devastating. And while this was moving quickly, I'd like to think I, I wouldn't feel scared. You know what? I wasn't, I wasn't scared, but I had a couple of complications where, you know, they put tubes in you and it's only supposed to be for no more than seven days. I had it for three weeks. I had so much fluid, but I just dealt with it. And I wrote a journal. I had little chapters of, of my journey and I put it out at church every week and and I try to find the humor in everything that I went through. It was harder for the people receiving the information. My sister-in-law, Joy, called me and, and said, Laura, how did it go? I said, well, I have breast cancer. Paul came home and he said, how did it go? I said, I'm sorry, Paul, I have breast cancer. And, you know, I was fine with it, but it was like I was on the outside looking in and seeing their reactions. Their reactions were crying, sitting down in shock, things that I was not experiencing. Yeah, I know you to move through the toughest times in your life with such grace. In fact, difficult circumstances have always seemed to bolster your determination and your courage. But I I know it's not as easy as you always make it look. So how did you develop the skill set, perhaps? Yeah. Probably in childhood. I grew up, I was one of 10 children. We were in an area where we all went to Catholic grammar schools. My father, like many fathers, was working two jobs. My mother, like most mothers in that day and age in the 60s and 70s, were at home taking care of us. We had a one-car family, but father was an alcoholic, and there was a lot of emotional abuse and sometimes physical abuse. I had to learn how to deal with his tirades, his mood swings, so I learned how to deal with him and how to get out of the way when I was in the on the receiving end of whatever tirade he was going into. I had to learn how to defuse the situation, how to not try and argue with him in any way, and then I was able to survive. And I also had to learn how to forgive and move on from his behavior. You know, where we are today is a culmination of every moment that we've experienced, our family of origin, our experiences throughout our life. So it's interesting when I hear you describe your childhood, that that can be very traumatic, but you seem to have moved through that beautifully. And it makes me feel like courage for you has become second nature. Well, I needed to survive. I knew I needed to survive till I got out of high school and went away to college. And so I kept looking at the fact that I'm in school, I'm in high school, I'm doing well, I've got my music I'm in vocal groups, only three more years, only two more years, only one more year, and I'm out going to college. So you kept busy. I kept busy, and I kept looking forward. I kept looking ahead to another change in my life that would give me more positive feelings. That's how I got through it. What did you do growing up that helped you to build that skill set? It was instinct. It was part of surviving. Sometimes you learn something because it's a necessity to survive. And so you just figure it out and you learn it. And that's what I did. I learned it. Now, I was the oldest of the girls. 
the rest of my sisters did not have it so easy once I went to college, but I had learned at a young age how to survive and get through it all. Do you think the birth order had anything to do with that? Uh, It may have. I was the oldest daughter. There were more expectations because I was older, but I had a little more leeway from my father. And I had him in a good part of my life because he really, really became a heavy, heavy alcoholic as more children were born. And it became harder and harder for him not to be abusive. So I had him for a very good spot in my life. And the part of him that was the alcoholic was few and far between until the other siblings were born. And then it became horrific, horrific. Yeah. Well, I think it's amazing and a testament to your inner strength because I think loving yourself requires a courage unlike any other. And it requires us to believe in and stay loyal to something that no one else can see, quite frankly. And that that's what keeps us in the world. And you seem to have a lot of strength to be able to do that. And I think birth order does have a lot to do with that, too. Yes, I agree. I agree. My siblings that were born towards the end of the birth order really had it hard. They had it the hardest. So comparatively, mine was not as difficult, but it was still difficult, but they had it the hardest. Let me ask you a little bit about the treatment that you had. Did you go through chemo and radiation? Yes, I had four rounds of chemo and I had 45 days of radiation And they told me when I went for my chemo after my surgery that my hair would fall out. And I said, no, not me. I'm going to be that exception. But it did fall out. It did fall out. But I got most beautiful wigs because I'm out with people all the time. And I'll tell you, it's very easy to get attached to those wigs. (laughs) Yeah, you always have a great hair day. became my alter ego, my wig. Was it hard for you to ask for help? I had a lot of friends from work. When I needed help or something came up or I had chemo, they just hopped on it and everybody would fight over who would take care of Laura's seller, who would take out Laura's buyers. And it was a very big team effort at my office. They were just wonderful to this day. Wonderful. One of the things that I'm curious about too, just as as a woman, because I think women are socialized as being caretakers and you seem really receptive to other people helping and you're pretty good about asking for help when you need it. When I need it. But there's one thing I did not do. Not one client, except those that I'd known from church that became clients, not one client ever knew that I'd had surgery, that I'd had tubes in me when I was going out with them, I was, but I was covered with a coat. No one ever knew that I had that issue because once you tell them, their focus now switches to you. And I didn't want them thinking they needed to take care of me. I was there to take care of them. And that helped me get through the nausea from the chemo, which was not as bad as I would have anticipated because I had friends that had all these wonderful pills. In fact, at the end of the year, I remember, I think it was in December, my manager called me on the phone and said, Laura, you're number one in the office this year. And I said, you mean I had my breast year ever? That's so insightful, too, because the doctor said, you're going to take this, Laura, and you're going to feel nauseous. And you waited, and you didn't feel nauseous. For two reasons, because if you are busy and doing other things, your mind doesn't go to that place. So I didn't have time to feel the nausea or sit down because of nausea. I was moving, driving, getting out of cars, picking up a husband at the airport, taking kids to band practice. I was constantly unable to focus on that part of my physical well-being. 
and I had some medication, but it only took off the edge. But the rest of it was just rising above. You just rose above it and moved on. The thing is, you're busy. You know, when you're busy and you're doing things and I had my music, you don't have time to sit and think about what's hurting. Well, that's the part that's so fa- I mean, the brain is so fascinating to me. And people die of the diagnosis. <laughs> Instead of sitting around waiting to get nauseous because that's what the doctor told you you were going to feel like, you started doing things for other people. And sure enough, you didn't feel that at all. Or it was very minimal. Very minimal. Yes. It just comes back to attitude, I think. When you get outside of your own head and you start doing things to be of service, you don't really have time to dwell on the negativity or the problem or the diagnosis. Right. Well, I followed every procedure that was given me. I was not about to say, oh, no, I'm too busy. Yeah. You know, that was a life changer for me. I was, you can't be too busy for the regimen they give you once you're, you've been diagnosed. And it sounds like you let people help you. I did. If they asked, I did it more because it made them feel better, not because it would make me feel better, although it was nice to have them around. But I was pretty independent and I could do pretty much on my own. I didn't need anybody to go to chemo with me. I could drive there and then be done. It was it was fine. And then I, when I was there by myself, I developed relationships with the other patients. It allowed me to talk to them about their journey, how they were feeling, what they were doing. And we all bonded over that. So that was nice. You met some people you never would have met otherwise. Correct. I do remember a few years ago, I wanted to offer a ride to a friend of mine who was going through chemo, but I was afraid to ask. So fortunately, after someone asked me why I was afraid, she gently encouraged me to make the call anyway. So I did. And it's something I'm eternally grateful for. But For people who may be afraid to say or do something for someone with cancer, do you have any advice on how they can find the courage to do it anyway? Well, instead of asking what you need, if someone wants to say, hey, I'm free today, can I come with you and we'll go to lunch afterwards? Yeah. There was one funny story. I went in for surgery, I think it was on a Tuesday, and I didn't let my husband even tell our church friends or the pastor until the Sunday before. So... I went in for surgery on Tuesday, came home on Wednesday full of tubes. And all of a sudden, and I'm laying there because I'm still in a stupor from all the drugs. The doorbell rings, then I hear it ring again. And I'm in the family with my feet up, so I'm not really aware. And then all I hear is doorbell, doorbell, doorbell. And then I hear Casey go, never mind, I'll get it. It's probably more (laughs) flowers for mom. So when I got up, I, when I finally got up, and I was really out of it for almost 24 hours, when I got up, I went out into the kitchen and looked into the living room, and I thought I was in a funeral parlor. <laughs> and I, I said, well, did am I in heaven? So I had no idea that there were so many people out there praying for me and wishing me well and sending me good thoughts and nice little cards attached to flowers. I mean, I had no idea that I was that loved. That must have made you feel really great. Well, that did make me feel great because it was not expected. I did not expect anyone to do that. So I felt very loved, very loved from that. Yeah, yeah. Is there anything in your life now that makes you feel vulnerable or that you're scared of? If you do things that give you joy, you don't think about the fear. That's the key. There are different things that go on in my life and Things happen business-wise, personal-wise, and I've had people that pass away for whatever reason. Someone dies of a stroke. 
I've had some very dear friends of mine, two dear friends that have passed this year that took me by surprise. And so it kind of brings you back to earth and makes you realize that nothing is bad enough that you can't just move ahead and enjoy each day as it appears. So, you know, we never know when we're going and that we better really need to appreciate the life and the things that go on around us. That's why I like to have my mother-daughter trips every year. Um, To me, it's so important to do that. They create wonderful memories. So making memories with my grandchildren, I just want to do that. That's such great perspective, Laura. Do you pray? Uh, Well, you know, I pray, but praying is, you know, I, I sing, I perform. I'm basically a performer at heart. We grew up in a very musical family and a performing arts kind of a family. So when I'm in theater or I'm on the stage or I'm playing my music or I'm talking in front of a group of people and telling jokes, that is how I feel better. So that's my way of combating it. And and I remember the first year I was in senior American Idol. And of course, I, uh, I won the third year, but I had to start the first year. And so the first year I went out and I performed and it was 900 people. And I walked out in front of 900 people. And as I'm coming up on the stage, I went, what did I get myself into? And I'm walking up on the stage and I just thought, okay, this is it. And I walked out smiling and I just did my song. And it, I just did not go to the fear place at all. You just put it to the back of your brain and just move ahead. And then I was fine. And by the third year, you couldn't get me off the stage. Except with a hook. Exit stage left. <laughs> no, stage center. <laughs> <laughs> you have such a great attitude and a very well-developed sense of humor. You know, there were things that went on in my life from family, from a first marriage, and all those things that can happen to you, you develop a skill set. So you have faith, you have courage. That's how I just kind of view things. It's not something that you're born with. You just kind of develop it over your lifetime and childhood and adolescence. And I will say, after all this happened, even to this day, Mo, I many times forget I ever even had it. Wow. I really don't go to that place. So when people talk about Breast Cancer Month, It comes up at the office. People know I had it. So that's when it becomes part of my psyche again because it's October. But for the rest of the year, I don't really think about what I went through or that I had it or that I'm a survivor, just that it was part of my journey and I'm done with it. And I got to the finish line and finished it. Yeah. It goes back to your definition of courage, just forging ahead, getting outside of your comfort zone and you're just moving on. Right. You staying busy and just moving on feels like you're really good at staying present and being in the moment. But I know that there are times when you need to slow down. What are the things that you do to have fun or relax or to release stress in your life? Well, I've always been a singer and I've been in different groups and sung for different events, but I started taking ukulele lessons and because I always wanted to accompany myself. And so I found a wonderful teacher through our Orland Park Village. They teach lessons there. I took them there, and then I started taking them privately, and I really enjoyed it. And when I've had a very long day, I sit down. I've got my microphone at the piano. I turn on my speaker. I plug in my ukulele, and I start playing my chords. And it's a lovely, it's a lovely feeling that makes me forget everything else that's going on. And I'm sure we all go through this. If you take long walks or you walk your dog, 
and you have you feel the fresh breeze on your face as you're walking in the morning. Sometimes wonderful ideas come into your brain that you wouldn't have otherwise if you weren't in the present in that moment. If you just go, go, go without white space, as they call it, you don't allow yourself for other things to come into your mind that can be positive for you. We need those creative outlets to sort of restore ourselves and get rejuvenated. Right. And I'm also in a senior, for lack of a better word, senior vocal group. And we perform at nursing homes and rehabilitation centers. And, you know, when I look at them, I realize, you know, I really am lucky because some of them are my age and they're debilitated in a wheelchair. They're stroke victims. And I really am blessed I am blessed for what I went through and how I am back to really total health today, except for like a minor leg ache once in a while. But I'm very blessed, very blessed. Well, you even won the Seniors Dancing with Seniors dance competition recently, which is pretty phenomenal. Yes, the village decided to have a senior in high school dance with a senior citizen. So my neighbor came down, my my 17-year-old neighbor, who's a wrestler and a football player, and he said, Laura... My mom said you won the senior American Idol last year. Would you mind being my dance partner? And I looked at him <laughs> and I said, you really, you want me to do this? I said, you do realize I'm not a professional dancer. And he said, no, I know. I said, well, you know, I'll have to get by on my theatrics <laughs> and we'll have to be entertained because that's the only way we're going to win. So we were lucky enough to have Arthur Murray dance lessons. So we had free dance lessons. And I said to him, have you ever heard this song, Joey, called Up, Up, and Away by the Fifth Dimension? He goes, what's that? I go, oh, my God. I said, well, that's going to be one of the songs because when it comes to Up, Up, and Away, you are going to lift me and twirl me around. And so we practiced it and went to our choreography teachers, and we did it in front of them, and they were just amazed. Wow. Just amazed. And so when we did it, he had a lift. He lifted me twice during the whole song. And when he did that, the whole place went up for grabs. And we won. We won. And I knew I had to win because I wanted him to get his $1,000 check. And I wanted to sit down and put my feet up. (laughs) That's awesome, Laura. Well, I'm going to shift gears a little bit. At the end of each show, I do a rapid fire round of questions. Are you ready for those? Uh, Okay. All right. Here we go. What is your favorite sound? A baby's laugh. Favorite smell? Um... Good coffee. Very good coffee. Favorite food? Oh, pumpkin pie with whipped cream. Or just whipped cream. Favorite type of music? Uh, jazz, Diana Krall. Favorite movie? Still to this day, the movie Contact with Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. And who would play you in a movie? Well... I'll kind of change it around a little bit. If I was ever in a movie, I'd want to be in a comedy, similar to the one in Bridesmaids, where you had Melissa McCarthy and all the other girls, and I'd want to be part of the group. You always need an Ethel to your Lucy. Yes, exactly. Any regrets? No, not really, because I've come out of some very negative situations and gone into very positive ones. I'm with a wonderful husband for 40 years. Now I have four beautiful children and I never really thought I'd ever have children. I've been very blessed. Why didn't you think you wanted to have children? Because of what I went through growing up and I didn't want any children in a situation where it would be so totally negative because you could screw a kid up. (laughs) 
really, parents don't realize they can screw up their kids. And I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to screw up any kids. I didn't want anything from my childhood to carry to their childhood. You know, the way we raise our children defines who they are as adults and how successful they're going to be just living their lives. Yeah. So I have, my fun now is I have four grandchildren and they are just a delight to me. And I've realized and been able to impart all of my wisdom on them and where maybe the mother or father are so busy just working and trying to get the household to stay together, I can now go in as grandma and have fun with them and read them their stories and take them on little outings because parents need that help sometimes. Yeah, that's so great that you are available to do that. I'm sure that they appreciate that. And of course, what a wonderful gift to be able to give to your grandchildren. Well, but you know what? That's what Again, it passes on from generation to generation. Paul's parents were exactly like that, too. They'd come over when he was deployed, and they'd come over. And I remember mom calling me one night and going, Laura, how are things? And Kelly was throwing a hamburger at Carla, and I go, <laughs> not. And I was very pregnant with Kirsten. I was like, I had gained like 70 pounds. I go, not good. <laughs> and I hung up. And in five minutes, they were at my front door, and she said, Daddy, take Laura out for coffee. And Mom had the whole house together when I came home. But I had in-law intervention all the time and great support system. So I want to carry that on to my grandchildren and my children. That's fantastic. Yeah, it takes a village, doesn't it? A suburb. <laughs> what's next for you? What's, what's the dream ahead calling you to be courageous? Uh, a winning lotto ticket. <laughs> play my ukulele and I love singing and playing. It is an art to be able to play an instrument and sing at the same time. I always sang to an accompanist. And so now I'm learning to play the ukulele and accompany myself when I sing. And so that keeps my mind very busy. Any advice for our listeners today? You know, do not miss even one mammogram, not one. And I said to my surgeon, Doctor, had I gone for my mammogram last year, would this have been a moot point? And he said, probably. But he said, the important thing here is that you did not miss this year. That could have been a defining moment for you. Yeah. So that's when I realized, you know, God really doesn't want me to go anywhere. I am meant to be here for a long time. And that's what I realized when I took Casey's spot with the uh, gynecologist, it made me realize that God sent me a message. And then if something happened to me and I went to heaven, God would say, you are stupid. (laughs) So, I mean, you just realize that this was divine intervention and therefore I'm not going anywhere soon. I think one of the things you had mentioned, which I want you to talk about too, is some of the things that you would have done differently One thing I came across is when I was out with people and maybe we were chatting and I might be going through, you know, when I was in a nail salon, for example, and you have women talking and these aren't women I know, but we had some bonding and conversation and there was an oncologist nurse there and she said to me, you know what, when you're going for radiation, Laura, take as much vitamin C as you can, even if it's 2,000 to 3,000 a day. Start out small, but get up to that point because then you will never burn. You'll have no burns, no radiation burns. So I got up to over 3,000 a day, and I didn't have one red burn, nothing. Because when there's radiation, after 45 days, after the radiation is done, those burns stay. It's like permanent sunburn. So that was a wonderful tip I had from someone that I didn't know. 
where do you get the burns? It's, uh, it radiates on your breast and on the other breast. It wanted to take and encompass that whole area to make sure that if there was any leftover cancer cells, they'd be dead. But the vitamin C, no burns at all, no burn marks. And here's one more thing. I went uh, about three or four years later, I went and had some, um, you know, it was a partial mastectomy, but I would be reminded of it because, you know, your brassieres and everything, they don't fit. And of course, the doctor said, the surgeon said, oh, you know what? Learn all grows back. Well, you know what? It does not. And so like after three years, I said to my husband, I'm going to a plastic surgeon. So I went in and he fixed me and he did a little something on the right and on the left. And I just, I'll tell you, I look great. That kind of fixed me up and made me feel better too, because I think what women look at is that there is a remainder of what's left after they do the surgery. So it was very challenging. So I will say, even the insurance companies and administrators in hospitals, they realize the best thing you could do for a woman when she has a partial mastectomy or a mastectomy of any kind is offer reconstructive surgery. Because uh, as much as I didn't remember everything that I went through, that really made me whole again. Wow, that is fantastic information to have. All right. Last question. How would you like to be remembered? Making people laugh, making people laugh and feeling good about themselves. And I want to make an impact on my grandchildren's lives and be present for them now that I have them. They are an absolute joy to me. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate you being here today and for being so open about everything you've gone through. It's really going to help a lot of people. Oh, I hope so. But the most important thing is go and get the mammogram. And there is so much out there for people who don't have insurance. There's clinics out there now that offer free mammograms. You just go on the internet. That's great, Laura. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. And for everyone listening today, the latest statistics say that every two minutes, a woman is diagnosed with breast cancer in this country. But the guidelines for when or how often we should get checked can be very confusing. They're based on average risk. But we're all average risk until we're not. So be your own best advocate, always, because there's no one-size-fits-all kind of screening. Many times breast cancer is missed during a mammogram, but it doesn't mean there's no value in getting one. There's also value in getting ultrasounds for diagnosing a mass or suspicious lesions in dense breasts. Thermograms, which is what I do, is also becoming a lot more common in this country. And of course, we should all be doing self-examinations. And don't forget the men in your life. While the numbers are statistically smaller, men can get breast cancer too. So the bottom line is, get checked. Encourage your friends, male and female. And whether it's a mammogram, thermogram, ultrasound, MRI, or self-examination, be your own best friend and your own best advocate. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a bit of courage. Like the cowardly lion. (laughs) Like the cowardly lion. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to Bite of Courage. If you'd like to learn more about my guests or you'd like to leave a comment, please go to biteofcourage.com or leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Don't forget to check out my blog, humormewithmo.com, where I write about finding humor in life's absurdities. Until next time, be bold, be brave, be daring, and take a bite of courage. This is a trio production. All rights reserved.